check, check. Yeah. It's always good to be able to come together and worship, and I always count it a blessing to be able to um, stand before you guys and bring God's word. And, um, you know, this morning it's under different circumstances. We do want to, again, lift up those who are in our community that are dealing with sickness. We want to pray for Pastor Larry, um, for Miss Eula, Miss June, and we'll do that again here in a few moments. But uh, this morning, I look forward to speaking from God's word this morning about where is our hope and where is our righteousness. And we're going to be looking um, in Romans chapter 10 today. So uh, if you will turn to Romans chapter 10 with me, and in just a few moments we will read um, from that scripture. But let's uh, join our hearts together um, in prayer at this time. Lord, we thank you for, again, Lord, for the work you do in our life. And Lord, again, we lift up those in our community who are sick. We pray for our pastor, Lord. We pray for Miss Eula. We pray for Miss June, Lord, that you would um, be with them. Lord, help them to recover quickly. And um, Lord, we look forward to seeing them well again, Lord. And this morning, I pray that as we look into your word, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, we know that, Lord, on our own, we are nothing but lost and separated from you, but because of Christ, Lord, you have made us right with you, as your word says, was traded, Lord, for our sinfulness. Lord, it is important that we are reminded of that from time to time. So, Lord, as we look at that truth this morning, I do with our hands, no work of it, that would drive us to love you and serve you with everything that we have. Lord, if there's one here today, Lord, who maybe is holding on to something else for their salvation or who has never come to know you, Lord, or if there's someone watching, Lord, I pray that um, you would work in their hearts through this word this morning, and Lord, that you would draw them to know you. And Lord, we give this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we live in a time in history when everyone has an opinion. And you know, that's really nothing new. Um, everyone has always had an opinion on different things, and it, but it seems like today everybody, they want to tell you what they think about every single um, issue there is out there. And you know, with the presence of social media, um, this has just become something that um, really has become an issue in our society of everyone sharing or throwing in their two cents on every issue, whether they should or not. It's, uh, we, me, Pastor Larry and myself like to um, term uh, those types as keyboard commandos, the people who will get on their keyboard and everything they see that strikes a nerve, they have to comment, they have to uh, throw in their two cents. And uh, sometimes maybe, maybe it's uh, warranted and maybe we should, um, but, but most often not. Um, probably we should avoid um, those types of things. There's some truth to me, or it's true, that's true to me, or that's my truth. And with so many voices out there, it is imperative for the believer to know the truth, the one truth, and that's God's word, the only place where real truth resides. This is why it is important to understand what the word says. This is why it is important for the believer um, to have a base of theology in their life. I mean, you see, the lack of care 
about theology in the church has led to so many false teachings that are prevalent today. As believers, we should care about what we believe. Um, earlier this week, I came across uh, this picture on social media, and it caught my attention, and I really couldn't uh, shake it from my mind all week long. And this is a quote from Vody Bauckham um, in a sermon where he said, Hell will be baptized. Why? So this has been on my mind all week, even before um, I knew that I was going to preach today. And I feel like this is something that, that is important for believers to understand, for those in the church to understand and reflect on from time to time um, as well. Where are we made right with God? Where is our hope? Because even our culture in the church can cause us to slip away from they're all desperately lost in our sin. And there is absolutely no way to be made right with God by our own works for our salvation. We are, we are wrong. We are lost if we hold on to anything other than our righteousness which is in Christ. So this message today really has two purposes. One is for the lost, um, for those trusting in any finding from time to time that our favor with God is not from anything we have done or anything that we are doing. So we're going to look at Romans 10, 1 through 15. This is a very familiar passage. Some of the most um, famous scriptures of all time, most quoted scriptures of all time are in this passage, particularly verses 9 and 10 are very familiar verses um, that we use in sharing our faith um, with other people on a regular basis. But when we read these verses in context, they come with a warning. Um, so if you will, let's uh, read this passage this morning. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify of God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about, righteous, about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who would ascend. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, richly and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one of whom they have not heard, as they are sent? As news. So I ask, where is your righteousness found? And prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So what does it mean to be saved? You know, something that I remember um, early on when talking about 
salvation and sharing, sharing your faith is to do what they call avoid the language of Zion. You know, when we say saved, here in the church we know what that means, um, but um, to kind of take off our church goggles as we... What does it mean to be saved as if we've never heard the gospel before? You know, the world would tell us being saved is being rescued from harm, danger, or loss. The word, the church, tells us being saved is to be set free from the consequences of sin. Christians think of it as going to heaven or a relationship with Christ, being saved from sin. And Paul, the writer of Romans, says that it is his desire to see those he loves, Israel, come to know the saving power, saved from the consequences of sin. You know, the world might would tell us um, to be a good person. And there's a line in that song that says, if there was ever a man who deserved a ticket to the other side, it would be him, talking about the person that is being described in the song. Um, being a good person is what the world might tell us. But we know scripture tells us differently. Uh, maybe the world would tell us being a person of prayer would make, um, as a child seeing a scale, and as long as the good deeds outweighed the bad deeds, that person was okay. Or maybe giving to church, the world would tell us, giving money to the needy, that we must believe and submit to Christ. We must understand our sin separates us from God and trust in Him alone and shudder. So we have to really unpack what it means um, biblically to believe in Christ. It's not just an acknowledgement, it's a mission to Christ as Lord. You know, other religions would tell us um, to be right with God, you have to go out and recruit. You have to go out and bring others in to be made right. I think about the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses. The witness knock on our door um, and want to talk to us about what they believe. As a matter of fact, I'm here just in the last couple of weeks um, with the pandemic going on and, and all of that. Uh, we got contacted by Jehovah's Witness by a new way. I actually got something in the mail with my name and address on it. And I opened it up, and it was a watchtower track from the Jehovah Witnesses. Um, and, you know, we, I've often heard it said, you know, if, if we could have the, the zeal that the Jehovah Witnesses have about sharing our faith, we could really do something in this world. But one of the reasons is because they believe they have to outdo each other. And they think that um, there's a limited amount of people that will make it to heaven. Other religions tell us you are right with God by how much you work or how many people you recruit. Maybe some religion, um, you know, immediately we may think of um, radical Islam, but also that's even uh, been um, in the Christian church from time to time in history. They're in the name of Christ. Um, or outdo the rest of the world. Again, that's another thing that the Je Jehovah Witnesses teach. Um, here are some Christian misconceptions, some misconceptions in the church about what it takes to be made right with God. Um, maybe baptism. You know, some people hold on to the verse Acts 2.38, which says, Believe and be baptized for the remission of sin. But if you read that whole, um, that whole summary of Peter's sermon there, he, he says, All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We can't hold on to just a baptism to make us right with God. Maybe we're holding on to a public profession of faith. Maybe there's a time we think of in our life when we walk denial and held a preacher's hand and prayed a prayer um, and we're holding on to that 
to make us right with Christ. Or maybe church attendance, and we read in Hebrews 10 about not forsaking the, the gathering together, and we're holding on to the wrong thing. We're holding on to a work, something that we have done. None of these quote-unquote acts of righteousness will ever come close to saving someone. We can never do enough. You see, these things are simply results of salvation. Our baptism is a result of obedience for what Christ has done in our life and following the example. He said, even a public profession of faith, which we see in our verses today, publicly declaring Christ is a result of what he has done in our heart already. Attending church, being committed to serving, all of these things are results of what Christ has already done in our heart. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is the gift of God, not the result of a work so that no one may boast. We cannot boast in our own salvation. Nothing in our place. So let's look into the word and let's look at the state of the Israelites who Paul loved and does, that they are zealous for God but their zeal is not based on knowledge. So being zealous for God is a good thing. We should be a person or a cause. Now football season is just about to start. Um, this is one of my favorite times of year. Um, as you see, I'm a big Carolina Panthers fan and the Packers are probably my second favorite team. But I always think of Packers fans when I think of people who are zealous. Um, a couple of years ago, I got the opportunity to go up to Green Bay and go to a, the museum there at the stadium. I'm standing beside two Super Bowl trophies there. Um, I was also able to go to the game. Um, there I am, uh, uh, right close to the 50-yard line. We were blessed to really get some good tickets through a friend of mine um, who was there um, on a work trip. And uh, it was really a great experience. Um, but when I think about Green Bay Packers, and their fans, I think about zealous people because there's always this guy. There's always this guy right here who is out there with his shirt off in the freezing cold, usually when it's snowing, screaming for his team. Um, he is, uh, is what I said, he has a passionate pursuit of a cause or a person, in this case a team. He is passionate about what Christ has done for us. Um, we should be willing when he calls us to go no matter where he calls us, whether it be to the hottest place on earth or to the coldest, snowiest place in the world, we should be passionate to go and share Christ. Passion is good, but does just being zealous for God save us? Let me, let me, uh, let me make this statement and think about this. If a person's zeal makes them behave in a non-Christ-like manner, then the zeal isn't rooted in Christ. You know, see, I see a lot of zealousness on social media about what people believe in. But if, if we, what we post and what we comment and what we tweet makes us behave in a non-Christ-like manner, our zeal is misplaced. Our zeal is not. You see, Matthew 7, 22 through 23 says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You see, 
if we serve God for anything other than obedience and because of what he's called us to do because we love him because of what he's done in our heart our zeal is misplaced what are some things that make us zealous um, particularly um, in the realm of Christianity uh, maybe we have been in church around us and what the world thinks is right it can cause us to have zeal uh, maybe it's what our family does it's our heritage we've always our hearts um, our desire to preserve, preserve our religious culture or our way of life. You know, that's how things are done around here. Um, that can cause us to be zealous, to stand up um, for the things of the church. Or because it's the right thing to do, maybe we have a serious... Uh, these things might be okay, but really the only reason to be zealous is because Jesus has saved us and made a difference in our life. He has changed who we are. He has changed our heart. Let's look at verse 3. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. I'm going to go back and read 2 with that. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge since they did not know the God's righteousness. So what is righteousness? We can define righteousness as being morally upright without sin and guilt. Or in other words, being right before God. So what is the right that is Christ? I think of 2 Corinthians 5, 21, one of uh, my favorite verses in all of Scripture, where it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew... That's the gospel. That's the only thing that makes us right with God. Very clear that on our own there is nothing sin we... We're lost, but Jesus in his holiness lived the life we could never live for the purpose of dying on the cross in our place. And if we cry out to him to save us, he will. John the Baptist said this about Jesus. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's in John 1, 29. You see, the people of Israel were trying to be righteous through the law. They were trying to be righteous through the law. Never righteous enough. They, they never measure up. I think of Isaiah 64, 6, um, where it says that our righteousness is clean. I think about a time when, uh, when I was young, my brother and myself, we were known as the fireworks. And there was one Christmas Eve when we were doing our family tradition of our Christmas Eve dinner. We had just finished up eating and we were in the living room and we hear a crash in the dining room and a big, bright flash. And we run in there and there's a hole, in, well, not little, there was a larger bottle rocket sitting there on the floor and my mama was about to kill both of us. Um, we were actually innocent this time. Um, we didn't do it, but we were catching the blame because we were known as the firework king, kings and then we get a knock on the door and it was our neighbor um, who was outside playing with fireworks and one got away and came through the, through the window but um, kind of wearing those things up the drapes had to be replaced um, the carpet stayed there for years and years and years but no matter how much my mom scrubbed it um, no matter how much we scrubbed it that stain was there it could not um, be removed and that's what sin has done on our soul that's what sin has done to us no matter how hard we try to reach God's standard we never, never measure up. Our absolute best is inadequate. 
Verse 4 says, Christ is the culmination the end, or the end of John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all un- and cry out to God to save us through the work of Jesus on the cross. This alone is how we are saved. You see, the law, that was to show us that we can never do it, it is to reveal to us our brokenness. Um, If there's never been a time in your life where you were broken over your sin and how it separated you from God, um, I would encourage you to seek where you stand with God. You see, to come to know Him, we have to understand we are broken and lost, and it brings us to a place where we know we can't do it on our own and we cry out to God. Um, Adam Clark described verse 4 in this way. He said, where the law ends, Christ begins. The law ends with the representative sacrifices. Christ begins with the real offering. The law is our schoolmaster and it leads us to Christ. It cannot save, but it leads us at his door where alone salvation is to be found. Christ as an atoning sacrifice for sin was the grand object of the whole sacrificial code of Moses. His passion and death were the fulfillment of the law's great objective and design. To unpack that a little bit, all of the law of God is designed to show us our need for a Savior. And if you want to see that, go read the Old Testament. Read through Judges, and you'll get tired of seeing this sin, this uh, pattern of sin over and over where God, where the people of Israel fall into sin and fall into judgment and then they realize, finally realize their sin and they call out to God and they repent and God rescues them. But it's not long before they do it again and they go through the cycle over and over and over. And when you read through the Old Testament, it can almost uh, make you want to bang your head on the table and say, Israel, don't you get it? Um, God has called us to follow him. But this part, the purpose of that law is to show us our need for him. If you read through First and Second Kings where it gives the history of the kings, for every one king where it says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, there's five that says he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The law is to show us that we cannot measure up on our own. Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge. Of sin, the sacrifice of the Old Testament—they are a symbol of Jesus, who is the final sacrifice. Jesus is the only perfect and final answer to the law. Hebrews ten, eleven, and twelve says it this way: And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeated, repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ is offered, For all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He said, it is finished. Sin was dealt with through Christ on the cross. He cleans those dirty rags that we read about in Isaiah 64. Hebrews 10, 17 uh, says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. The gift of Christ, the gift that Jesus gives us that is spoken about in Romans 6, 23 is the gift of Christ. His righteousness. His righteousness is placed on us 
through his death on the cross. Verse five, Moses writes about the righteousness that is the law, righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. The NLT translation says, for Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all its commands. You see, here's why that quote from the beginning from Vodi Bakum is so, so uh, um, scary or so concerning about how heaven will be full of people who didn't smoke, who didn't drink, who didn't cuss, who may have been baptized. This is why it's so scary. Um, there, there's so many people in the church, in the world, who are banking on what we have done, what we have done ourselves. Um, but the Bible is clear that it is through Christ alone. To this point, Romans has shown us our failure to keep the law. And we know that we cannot get to heaven on our own. We are stuck in our sin. Verses 6 and 7 says this, But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who would descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. You know, verses 6 and 7, who would descend into the heaven or descend into the deep. Um, this is an imagery to illustrate how simple the gospel is. Is There's an old Hebrew saying, um, saying it would be like reaching into the heavens to illustrate something that is very difficult. And here verses 6 and 7 are saying um, that faith does not say in our heart who will ascend into heaven or who would descend into the deep. Um, but what it does say is in verse 8. What it does say is the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. This is a reference to Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14, um, where it says, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it, nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. In other words, Moses is telling them that the law is right there. They know what it is. It's accessible to them. It's taught to them from a young age. They know it. Um, and then Paul is telling us the same thing. The message of the gospel um, is right before us. As a matter of fact, for us, in our context today, we live in a day where the Bible and the Word is more accessible than ever. And I said at the beginning that there are a million voices out there telling us what is true. But we have access to the gospel, to the Word, like no other time in history. Even in my lifetime, um, I remember as a teenager, um, you know, we had Christian bookstores and you could go into the bookstores and uh, most Christian bookstores had the King James, the New King James, the NIV, um, and maybe one or two other translations. Um, today, there are so many translations, um, you know, any translation that, uh, it, that, that lines up with the original is a good translation and that's for a whole other um, topic to talk about, but we have access to the word like never before. We can pull out our phones and find a translation um, that fits our reading level, that fits our understanding, and we can know the Word of God, whether we're young or whether we're old. Today, 
We are in a culture that is seeking. We are in a spiritual culture, even though um, it seems like everybody has an opinion, everybody has an idea, and it's easy to think that people don't care about the ways of God anymore. But we are in a culture that is seeking, that is hurting, um, and that is really unknowingly desiring to hear us proclaim the truth of the gospel. And what is that truth? It's right here in verses 9 through 13. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that simple. Um, if we call on God to save us from our sin and we're authentically believing in our heart that that is the only way to be made right with him, he will save us. It's a submission in one's heart or self that leads to justification or being made right with God that produces a proclamation about what he has done in our heart. What is the title Lord? When we follow Christ, he is to become our Lord. That is a title with a meaning. It's not just a name of God. Lord is a title with a meaning. Um, I'll think about you know movies that are set in the medieval times, uh, maybe one of my favorite movies, this uh, fictional movie, but um, Lord of the Rings, which kind of has that medieval time period. Um, when they talk about the king, they call him my lord, particularly those who are in the king's military service. They refer to them as my lord. They're willing to go out to all ends to serve their lord. When we follow Christ, he is our king, our commander, we are making our decisions based on following him as our Lord, um, following his will for our lives and not our own. This is why we should be zealous. No other reason. Not because we grew up this way or because it's what we've always known. We should be zealous for Christ because of what he's done in our heart. This is why just acknowledging that Christ is God is not enough. We must submit to him as Lord. It is a belief that causes action. Verse 12, verse 12 says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. All who believe. The gospel is for everyone. It is for Jew and Gentile. In other words, it is for people of all religious background, no matter where somebody comes from, what they believed in the past, the truth of the gospel is for everyone. It is for all races. It is for Republicans and Democrats and whatever other political leanings there may be. It is for doctors, lawyers, criminals, the homeless. In other words, it's for people who don't look like us, who aren't like us. It's not just for people like us. Peter discovered this in Acts chapter 10 um, when he was called to share Christ with Cornelius. And that I'm not going to go through that passage for time's sake, but it's wrapped up where Peter says in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, 
But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. We all need Jesus the same, whether we grew up in a Baptist church or we grew up in a Muslim household in the Middle East. We all need Jesus the same. Verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No works will save anyone. No one's heritage will save anyone. No matter how much we serve, uh, we cannot bank on those things for our salvation. Only crying out to Christ to save us from our sin. So that leads us to another question. What about those who have not heard the truth about Jesus? Or what about those even maybe in our own context who are misinformed about Christ as we read in verse 2? Well, we know that the Bible teaches that without Jesus, all are headed for hell. And maybe when you've had a conversation with somebody about this and you've encountered the question, well, how can a loving God send someone to hell? Have you ever heard that question? I know I have heard that question a lot. How can a loving God send someone to hell? Well, the problem with that question is the perspective that that question is asked from. Um, it says, uh, how can a loving God send someone to hell? Well, he doesn't. Our sin does. You see, God is holy. And that just means he is perfect, he is without sin, he will not be in the presence of sin, but God is also just, which means justice will be served. Everything that's ever happened in this world will get what it deserves because God is just, so he is going to deal with sin. Um, that is his character. He is holy and just. And you know, God could have left us in our sin, left us destined for hell, to die and be separated from him forever. And he would still be holy, perfect, and just. But thank the Lord that he is also loving. You see, he loves us. He could have left us in our sin and still completely fulfilled his holiness and his justice. But because he loves us, he made a way for us, a way that we never deserve, that is free to be made right with him. So instead of asking how can God send, or how can a loving God send people to hell, we should say a loving God made a way for all of us who deserve hell to be made right with him. You know, 1 John 1.9 says that he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we submit to Jesus as our Lord, Jesus paid it all. You see, we're given a calling as believers. It's easy to block out the fate of those around us. We live in such a busy time. It's easy to go on our daily, with our daily lives um, and not worry about the people around us to block out what the scripture says um, will happen to them if they don't know Christ. But we should be concerned. You see, as Christ followers, we love who he loves. And that's just part of loving Christ. You know, when we love someone, we tend to love the things that they love. I think about Bethany um, every time I'm watching a ball game. And like I said, football season's coming up. And if football's on, I'm going to watch it if it's on TV. If I don't know anything about the two teams, I'm going to watch it. And every time I'm watching a game, Bethany will come in and say, Daddy, which team are we for? And, you know, she wants me to tell her which team I like because she loves her dad. And she's going to pull for the team that I'm going to pull for. And it's the same way as believers. 
um, as people who love Christ. Um, his love is imparted through us, and he puts a love in our heart for the lost. It should break our hearts when we see and know people who are far from God. You know, some of you are thinking of a specific person right now, a friend, a co-worker, a classmate, maybe a family member. What can we do? Well, first off, we share the gospel. You know, today's message is kind of twofold. It's salvational. I want um, all of us to know where we stand with God. If we're holding on to something that is other than Christ for our salvation, we need to deal with that. But it's also missional. God has called us to tell this truth to the world and to stand on this truth. Verses 14 and 15 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How will they believe if they haven't been told the truth? Who's going to tell them? The preacher? Are, are me and Larry going to tell them? Well, maybe, but maybe not. God has put people in our paths in our context um, that only we can speak to, only you can speak to. What does the Bible say? Who does the Bible say is going to tell them? It says you. It says if Jesus is your Lord, he has given you a command and a responsibility. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our Lord gave us this command. This is our mission. It's not optional. We are entrusted with the message of salvation, the message, the only message that saves. In this world that tells us so many opinions about how to be made right with God, how to be a moral person, how to be a good person. We have the only true message from the word of God that saves. He sent me, he sent you. If Jesus is your Lord, you have been sent. So who do you know that needs Jesus? If you don't tell them, who will? If you don't tell them what will happen to them, God loves them if we love God. Do we love them? You have been sinned. How do I tell people about Jesus? The best way is share your story. Share what God has done in your heart. Share what God has done in your life. Understand the basics of the gospel. Understand that we are all separated from God, from our sin. God is holy. But Jesus lived the life we could never live to die our penalty on the cross. And if we trust in him and submit to his lordship, he will save us. It's good to know scripture with those points. 
Um, but, but that is the basic scripture. Share your story and share how God has saved you. So this morning, as we close, I just want to ask two questions. First, do you know Jesus? Where do you find your righteousness, your salvation? Um, if you're looking back to a specific event and time in your life when you walked an aisle, uh, when you were baptized, if you're holding on to those things you did, I pray that you will take some serious time in prayer to ask God where you stand with Him. If you hold on to anything other than a time in your life when you were broken and cried out to God to save you from your sin. All those other things are a result of what Christ has done in our life. Um, again, that quote from Vodi Bauckham, hell will be filled with people who didn't drink, didn't cuss, and may have been baptized. Why? Because they didn't believe that Jesus alone was enough. Hold on to Jesus only. And secondly, are you sharing your faith? Are you telling those God has put in your path the truth of the gospel? And I'll close with this verse that we just read from 2 Corinthians 5.18. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Will you pray with me?